Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From 2 Samuel, Your glory, O Israel, is slain in your high places. How the mighty have fallen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning. Our uh, passage for today is from 2 Samuel, and uh, one of the reasons we chose it, of course, is because Father Chris, having gone in for surgery, is a perfect example of this refrain, oh, how the mighty have fallen, <laughs> and look who rise in his place. But uh, truthfully, we are actually continuing on with the Summer of David, and uh, as part of the Summer of David, we're going to be discussing this lament that he has, uh, a lament being of course, a song of grief, a song where you're both kind of singing and crying at the same time. Um, and, and our lament for today brings about a real raw emotion in David, and it would seem like a completely normal thing to do, right? He just lost his best friend Jonathan and his father-in-law Saul, except we skipped a few chapters from last week to this week in the story of David. So I know I don't want to be that friend of yours you know, who kind of wants to catch you up on a full season of episodes by walking you through them, because that's really tedious. Uh, but I do want to give you just a quick background so that we can understand the heart that David has going into this lament. So, a brief recap. You remember last week that there was the hero Saul who cowered. You had the hero David who stood strong, and then you had the hero Goliath that opposed, that opposed them. You all, you all we're familiar with this? Yes, exactly. So, it's David and Goliath. Well, after David killed Goliath, with, with obviously God guiding the way, everybody praised David, and Saul became incredibly jealous, right? And he had a real enmity to David. In fact, Scripture says explicitly that he considered David an enemy. And so, from, from last week to this week, we have a whole series of Saul trying to kill David, a whole series of it. He tries to um, send him to war with the Philistines to get him killed, and he's not successful. He tries to throw his own spear at him by his own hand twice, and is not successful. And at this point, David kind of gets the hint, right? Like if somebody throws a spear at you a couple times, you realize that you're not on the same page. Um, and so what happens is David, David flees, right? Jonathan helps him kind of go along the way, and David gets out of there, and he says, you know, Saul, you're trying to kill me. I've, I've, I've got to get out of here. And so what Saul does, though, is he decides, Saul is so, you know, both enamored and yet hates David that he gathers up an army to go after him twice. And so both times Saul comes after David, um, God delivers David out of Saul's hand. David, in fact, has the opportunity, and I'm going to let you read it because it's long. Uh, David has the opportunity to kill Saul twice and chooses not to because of his integrity. And so that kind of brings us to our passage for today. There was an enormous battle that took place. The Philistines were coming against the Israelites, and the Philistines, who at this point were technologically superior because they used iron, they used bows when Israel mostly used slings at this point, and some of them even carried armor with them, and so they won, and Saul is killed in battle. In fact, he ends up falling on his own sword. Saul's sons are killed, and it's a really dark and it's a really black day for Israel. But what about for David? 
How do you think David responds to the situation? After all, Saul had set himself up as David's enemy, and Saul was in the way of David ascending the throne. Think of um, Queen Elizabeth, right, and Prince Charles kind of waiting for his turn, but without that whole enmity thing. Um, You know, he, he was waiting for his turn. He was already anointed. And so you imagine David would be celebrating, but that's not what this lament shows us. And when I first looked at this passage this week, I was actually a little bit concerned for David, who we know is, is an incredible example of a man, but also imperfect. And I was worried that, it was, that he was kind of engaging in hero worship. Do you all know what hero worship is? Is that term familiar to you? Hero worship is when you, when you admire someone, and it can be a person or even an institution, you admire something about that, and then that admiration turns to a wholesale acceptance of everything about them. That's what hero worship does. You like somebody for a particular thing, and then you, you even kind of shape your life and your opinions and your views around everything that that person thinks. And, and I was thinking about this because I, I, I thought, well, we don't, surely we don't do that anymore. Surely we don't have these epic heroes that we kind of rally behind anymore, but I'm not so sure about that. Um, one example could be LeBron James, right? Or think of, or think of your, your sports person, right? The one who's leading the charge on your team. And yes, he couldn't quite pull it off for the Cavs, but, but he's still, right? He's, he's a dominant force. Or in, in any other particular sport that you can think of, hero worship is when you start saying, stop saying, hey, that person's a great basketball player or football player or musician, etc. And you start really tuning into their uh, political and philosophical views, right? It, it kind of bleeds past their area of expertise, and you start taking... Um, you know, everything that they say and trying to model your life after that. That's hero worship. We do the same thing with political parties, right? We might like a certain stance or certain views or identify with most of the opinions of a political party, but when we start taking, for, you know, taking wholesale everything that that political party does and, finding our, and trying to kind of work our ways to stand behind it and stand with them, we're engaging in hero worship. There's no discernment. There's no applying God's standard to the situation. We're just applying the standard of our hero to all things. Does that make sense? You all follow me on that? Um, It's also something that we do with our parents or our children. We put them on, or, or, or even people that we admire, we put them on such a pedestal that we are willfully blind to their faults. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I actually see this a lot. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I see this a lot in, um, in parents whose kids go off to college, right? And, and the kids were a certain way up until the age of 18, and then boom, took a hard right turn. And it's like, no, it's not that they're a totally different person. You just didn't see them for who they were this whole time. And you weren't able to engage with that and, and speak to that and work with that. And it looks like in this lament, it looks like right here when David is praising Saul, that, that David is kind of engaging in this hero worship, right? Because Saul was, Saul was not a nice man. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying not to speak ill of the dead here, but, but he really, like, he wasn't a great guy. He's not somebody that you want your kids to grow up to be like. So then, you know, we look a little bit closer at the text. Is David just, is David just you know, praising Saul for all that he is? No, he's actually not. That's not what he's doing. If you remember the reading that we just had, when, when David is praising Saul, he's praising Saul for all of the good that was Saul, and he is, he is silent on the bad. Notice that David doesn't say anything about Saul's character. 
He doesn't say anything about the person of Saul. What he's praising is the role that Saul had in the formation of Israel, in the formation of the kingdom. Because Saul was a warrior who did expand the land of the Israelites under his rule, who did provide relative safety for them, who did help their economy along. And he praises the things that are good for Saul, and that's actually a very biblical concept. In the New Testament, we hear it, it sounds a lot like this. In fact, it sounds exactly like this because it's from the New Testament. It it sounds like uh, Paul saying to fellow Christians, follow me as I follow Christ. You see, there's a difference. Um, John Piper actually has, has a way of phrasing it. He calls it hero worship versus holy emulation. Hero worship is when you take the good and the bad and you try to make it all good. Holy emulation says, I'm going to follow you just as long as you're following Christ. And where you deviate and where you're different and where you don't match up, I'm not going there with you. You see, it's still appropriate for us to have heroes. Now, I know that we are a democratic, egalitarian society where we don't want to lift up one person above another because we think it's unfair or we're proud. I get it. But at the same time, there's something helpful about having a person that you can look to to say, I want to, I want to be more like you on my journey to look like Christ. That's what the saints are. And so again, it's not hero worship, it's holy emulation to say, I want to follow you as long as I follow Christ, and the good in you are things I'm going to pay very close attention to, because that might help me take the next step towards Christ. So hero worship and not holy, or holy emulation and not hero worship. Now there's another another part of this, because that's David looking at the good in Saul and, and trying to follow after that. But, but our second point, our second area that we're going to be looking at is, okay, well, that's great, but how in the world do you go from the point of having someone consider you an enemy and not responding in kind? How do you, how do you look at somebody who has a personal vendetta to attack you, to kill you even, to defame you, to ruin your reputation, who really has… Has anybody ever had anybody out for them? I I imagine that you have. I imagine that you've had somebody in your life who set themselves up as your enemy. And that's that's what David's dealing here when it comes to Saul. He has someone who is personally attacking him and setting himself up as an enemy. And… but nowhere in this entire passage, in fact, nowhere in Scripture does it say, and listen carefully to this, does it say that David thought of Paul? I mean, David thought of Saul as an enemy. Think about that. It says explicitly, David, I mean, Saul considered David an enemy, but the reverse is not true. How do you find the strength to do that? How do you find the integrity and the character to not take personal revenge, to not go after somebody who is going after you? Because, as we discussed, by any earthly standard, David should be rejoicing right now. David should be ecstatic that Saul is dead but he's remarkably selfless. And his lament shows that he's putting the well-being of Israel before his own. Because you see, when you lost a king in those days, their, their societies were not stable like ours, right? If we were to lose a president, we, would have, we have a whole line of succession lined up and ready to go, and we have all of these systems in place that would make sure things run smoothly, right? I mean, you may grieve, you may lament the loss of a president, but your, your next day would look very, very similar to the one before it. Does that make sense? Not in those days. That was a, when, you, when you lose the first tier of the whole royal family, that puts your society in chaos and disarray. And so, when David's lamenting it, what he's saying is he's lamenting for Israel. 
And he is lamenting as, a, as his role as a successor to the throne. He's putting his personal vendetta aside, if he even had one, which he didn't. He's putting all animosity that we imagine he should have aside, and he's saying, I am, I am now stepping into the role of Israel, and we will mourn him as a nation. And we will mourn this loss of our nation, and we will mourn the loss of honor for our God. Because again, God was God of the Israelites, and when they were defeated in battle, it was easy for the enemies to then speak ill of the Israelites' God. Does that make sense? Their fates were tied together, at least in the eyes of the nations around them. In fact, we have a very similar concept too in the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament says that we are ambassadors for Christ, that how we live, how we respond in situations is something that people see in us, and it reflects on Christ. Would you agree with that? You know, most people who are atheists are atheists because they haven't met a Christian that lives as Christ did. Nietzsche said that explicitly. He said, um, so I'm going to paraphrase here, that he would be more interested in Christianity if, if Christians actually looked like Christ. And we carry that ambassadorship around with us. We're called to selflessly, selflessly step into our role as Christians, just as David was. Um, and, and when we, bat, we are baptized and we call ourselves Christian, this role of being a Christian, the way we identify ourselves, is preeminent over all other roles you might take. Formerly, you may have identified yourself by your nationality. You may have identified yourself by your career. You may have identified yourself by your um, politics or by your race or even by your sexuality. These might have been your key markers, but when you become a Christian, all of those are subservient to that role that you take on following Christ. And so when we get, off in tr when we get cut off in traffic, we don't ask, well, what would a real man do, right? Or what would a real woman do in this situation? We ask, well, what would a Christian do? Um, this Wednesday, I, uh, I, was driving, I was driving to lunch, and I've got a really fancy restaurant that I like in town that I go to lunch at. It's called Wawa on US 1. Have, have you heard of it? Um, I really like to treat myself well. And so I was, I was going, and I was all excited about my lunch, and I'm driving down US 1, and my mind's distracted with this sermon and, and trying to, to see what, what God's doing in it. And, you know, I get, I get in, I'm about to turn left, and the light's green, but there are cars constantly coming, and I, dro I drive a... Uh, Toyota Corolla four-cylinder, so there's not a lot of get up and go in that thing, right? Like, I got to kind of rock it back and forth before, before it'll move, and uh, I got to Fred Flintstone it a little bit, but um, so, so, so there's these gaps that I can't quite shoot, and there's a car behind me that doesn't understand my predicament. Uh, there's a car behind me that, that is a little bit frustrated that I'm not taking my life into my own hands for this sandwich, and so, uh, and so he starts becoming incredibly free with his horn, right? And, and it's one of those things where, you know, he's just laying on and I'm sitting there like, I have a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of things I want to tell you right now, and I'm going to think through those for a second. So we both pull off, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen. It's that awkward thing where they, they go exactly where you go, right? Have you ever had that, like you've exchanged something with someone in, somebody in traffic, and they, they just happen to end up right where you are? So we take the same left turn and the same right turn and the same turn in the parking lot, and we park about right next to each other. And there's a moment, right? There's a moment there where you're like, where you're thinking, okay, how should I respond to this? Right? So, 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 so what would a man do in this situation? Well, a man sure wouldn't brook that. that you know, that's for dang certain. And so I'm, you know, I'm, so I'm like, all right, I've got a few things I want to say. And, and 
God preserved me, I, I was able to look in the rearview mirror and realize that I was wearing a particular piece of clothing. It was a collar. And I was, you know, I was wearing, and, and, and all black. And I'm quite obviously a priest, right? It's nowhere near Halloween. There's no mistaking what I am. And so I get out of the car, and, and, and the man comes out of the car. Now, his arms are the size of tree trunks, and so the conversation would not have gone well for me otherwise. But it was one of those moments where God prompted me, based on this passage, to say, okay, who am I going to be in this moment? What role am I going to live into? And so because of that prompting, and it was only by the grace of the Holy Spirit, I was able to engage him, engage him as a Christian, greet him, smile at him, wait for him and hold the door open for him, shake his hand on the way in. And something remarkable happened during that exchange of choosing to live into that role instead of one I could have chosen otherwise. Three times while I'm waiting for this wonderful, delicious sandwich, three separate occasions he came up to me to talk about faith. He asked me about how we know, whether or not we know the Bible is true. He asked me about this church, Trinity Episcopal Church, and you all, and what this church was like. He was curious about faith. Isn't that interesting? You see, we are ambassadors for Christ, you and I alike, wherever we go. And when we choose to act as ambassadors for Christ, when we choose the high road, we are witnesses for Him. And that can go a very… and, and that's you and I both. You see, there's a role that we step into sometimes that, allow, that, that brings people to worship. Father Chris explained it to me when I first got here, and, I'm, I'm, and I hope I get this right because he's actually standing behind me, but, um, you know, this idea of… of when we, are, when we are leading worship on a Sunday morning, we're stepping into a role. And the role that we step into is meant to point people to God, not ourselves. You know, this isn't the Father Chris show or the Father Josh show or the Father Switch show, right? This is, this is us trying to be vessels for Christ and, and us all worshiping the Lord together. And when we forget that, things can go awry. I've got one more story for you for this morning. Um, a few years ago, I went on a mission trip to Honduras with a different church. And uh, on this mission, this is my first mission trip to Honduras, and I was kind of the youth guy here, and so what I did is I would, you know, we would go work all day at a clinic and, and, and do some building projects around town and lead a VBS for these kids. And then at night, we would all go back to the hotel and kind of relax. Well, the first night of the hotel, I noticed that all of the adults had one location that they went to, one, one, one spot where they congregated, and it was the bar down below. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in, in Honduras, Christians don't drink. Now, I'm not saying you can, in the United States, it's a different culture, right? The Lord uses wine. I mean, that's… But, but in a cultural context, in Honduras, good people don't drink and bad people do. That's the way they thought about things. And what ended up happening, and of course, you know, I was with the students, and so we did a Bible study in the evenings upstairs. Well, there was a Honduran who walked up to me, and he asked what we were doing, and he was curious about the Bible, and why would, why would we be spending time in Scripture? And we were telling him we're with this missions group, and we're here to serve, and he said, wait a minute, you're with that group downstairs? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. They're Christian? And it was almost a body blow for us, because it was one of those moments, and it wasn't, and they weren't having one or two drinks, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was getting late, and it was getting rowdy, and it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, we are supposed to live as ambassadors for Christ, and when we, when we miss the mark, it's not just our honor or our reputation that's at stake. There's a further weight that we carry in the role that we live into. And so when we seek to be 
to, to live with integrity, when we seek to follow after Christ, when we look to role models and we say, you know what, what you do, you know, I want to follow you in what I see you living into as a follower of Christ. I want to follow the good in you. When we're living our lives on that trajectory, there's an impact that we don't even notice. And my last point for us today is that when I'm saying to live into a role, I'm not asking you to be a hypocrite. I'm asking you to live with integrity. There's a dominant thought in our culture that we need to act according to how we feel. And that's true authenticity. There's a dominant thought in our culture that if we were to act in any other way than how we feel, then it would be false at best and at worst hypocritical. That you just, you know, live how you feel. But that's the wrong definition of hypocrisy. You see, to live out of alignment with what I believe is hypocrisy, not how I feel. To live according to what I believe in spite of how I feel, isn't hypocrisy, it's integrity. David praising Saul, and, you know, praising Saul for the good that Saul did is not David being a hypocrite. He's living with integrity because he's living according to his beliefs, and he is being subservient to God in his role. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would so strengthen us and move within us that we are able to take that next right step forward, that we are able to live according to our beliefs, according to our promises, God, according to what we confess to you. God, that you would help put us and our selfishness and our overwhelming desire to follow our own emotions and feelings aside and live with integrity as ambassadors for you. Help us not forget, God, that our role, our purpose is to bring glory to your name. It's in your son's name we pray. Name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.